guys have baby fever as bad as we do. It's bad. It's pretty bad. Or maybe yeah. it's worse. I know you started this journey like a long time ago. It's probably worse We because we've been together for nine years. And wow. we've gone back and forth on if we've wanted them, but we've known for two years that we really want them. And sort of the process for us takes a lot of time. So now we're in this like holding pattern that's really tough. Yeah. I've oh. just been reading all the books I can get my hands on and trying oh. to pick out like baby clothes and also calling dibs on all of our friends' like hand-me-downs, right? <laughs> so I'm already like going around and strategizing, okay, I want this, I want that, don't give it to anybody else. Super smart. <laughs> very resourceful husband you have. That's good. He is um, very resourceful. Yeah. yeah. So I know the whole story of how you guys ended up looking for a surrogate, but I would love if you could share that with our audience because this is such an interesting story. Yeah. So when I was, I think, 28 years old, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and it was like a pretty aggressive type of cancer. I had to have a hysterectomy within 11 days of actually finding the tumor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was like no time and I was young and sort of everything happened really fast. So I had the surgery and I was able to keep my ovaries, although they were pretty intent on taking them out after. But they're like, we can do a radical hysterectomy so you keep your ovaries. In case you want to have kids, you'll have time to do some egg extractions. And the interesting part of the story is we had dated before that happened and we weren't speaking at the time. Um, she wasn't speaking to me. I wasn't Let's speaking to way. him. He was probably sending like smoke signals, trying to like do anything to get my attention to potentially get back together. But it was the reason that I started talking to him again, because we had so many mutual friends and they were like, you know, this is kind of uncomfortable. Don't let, don't make it have to be that we have to tell Pasha that you're going through this. Like, can you just give him a call? And I was like, why would I call him? And they're like, because he asks about you every day. Multiple <laughs> um, it was really yeah. sweet. And I had no idea because a couple months had gone by and we were like having some space and I'm like, maybe I can be friends with him again. So I did. And he was like, please let me be here for this like whole process. Like I want to help you recover and take care of you. And like, we'll keep it strictly friendship. Like I want to get back to being friends with you. And I was like, sure. Okay. And then of course, like within a few months, I knew I was in love with him and like, couldn't deny it. So yeah. Literally, it's you the thing that, that I don't really know if I would well. ever spoken him again. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I play the long game always. Let yeah. me just be friends. You know, let me warm up to you again. I, I, I know I, guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's <still in> itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was really committed to the friendship thing. Like, he would ask me, like, he'd be like, I'm coming over. Do you need anything? And I would be like, yes, I need fried food tampons and Beano, like whatever I could, even though I never obviously don't get a period. So I never use a tampon again for whoever's listening. That doesn't make sense. But I would like ask for all these things that were like total friend zone things. Like I want him to know I have gas. I want him to know, you know like how gross I am right now just to like keep him at bay. And it did not work. So sure enough, I recovered. We ended up together. Like he moved in, I think, I don't know, two or three months later. And we've been together ever since. So about a year after that, we like extracted my eggs, fertilized, you know, created embryos. And we've had, my mom calls them grand sickles on ice <laughs> for six years now, six years now. Yeah. So yeah. 
And we've been back and forth on the kid train. Like there were a couple of years where I really didn't think I wanted children. I have brothers and sisters that are much, much younger than me, like 14 years between me and the last. So in some ways, I feel like I raised kids like there were infants in my home when I was in high school. But he's always, always wanted kids. And it was a bit of a point of like contention in our marriage. A few years ago, we went to therapy, like for that reason, we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like, we're so in love, but he really wants to be a father. I'm not sure. I have all these things I want to do with my business and I'm definitely not ready. Don't know if I'll ever be ready. And then I literally like woke up one day with baby fever. (laughs) It's been like crazy Mm -hmm. the last two years. So yeah, we, um, yeah, now we're doing the surrogate thing, which I can share more about that. (laughs) Yeah, that seems process, like quite a process. I think it's it's really interesting. When I was about 26, and I was telling you about like my ex who's also pregnant, one of the reasons that that was cool to share that with her is because she was the, I was with her when I found out for sure that I couldn't have kids naturally. So for me, it was like, hey, uh, remember that thing that happened? Like, we did it. <laughs> we figured it out. Yeah. It all worked out, you know? And it was an interesting thing, but it's, it's a different proposition when you have to like, it can't just happen. Cause it's like, sometimes it just, yeah. if it just happens, you're like, okay, I got, I got nine months or so to like prepare myself to get, you know, and you, you, you're, you're like mentally prepared when you have to actually like deliberately jump through a bunch of hoops. It's a huge pain in the ass. I mean, what Kelly had to go through with IVF was like, I, I don't wish that on anyone, you know, it was so hard. And when you're hor- mm-hmm. having used, you know, various exogenous hormones in my life, like I understand like that changes so much about your personality and like what's going on. So there's, it's a completely different value proposition when you have to deliberately, you know, there's a, there's a large barrier to entry to, to being a parent. Mm -hmm. It's, it is. And I actually, I totally understand how you can go back and forth and back and forth and then wake up one day and be like, okay, I get it now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it goes along with the fact that because we have to plan it, we're able to say, okay, we could do it maybe another year from now. Oh, hey, let's do this this year. And we could be more, uh, you know, have more experiences before we do. But then it it catches up to you, just kind of like it did with us. It caught up to us and we're like, oh, crap, we are ready. Yeah. So let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> let's, let's do we it were yesterday. like, shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. we should have been doing this last year. Right. Because now, you know, you start the process and you start interviewing these surrogacy agencies And their timelines for finding you a surrogate are like nine months out. And even then, there's still like paperwork and medical stuff and legal stuff even before. So we're like, okay, now we're ready to have a kid thinking like maybe we'll have a kid in a year. And it's looking like it'll be a lot longer than that. Wow. How is it? Yeah. Yeah. How is it compared to adoption in that process? Do you know? I think it's interesting. So they both could happen really quickly or they can take a really long time depending on how specific you are with like what you want. So they can bring us a surrogate next week, but she might live in Alabama and she might, you know, like not have a super healthy lifestyle or, you know, the things that we would really care about because we want someone who lives in LA or at least close enough that we could you know, maybe do a doctor's visit or spend some time together as she's like pregnant. I think it'll be a bit more, I think there's a lot more that goes into finding that person. And we live in, there's not a lot of surrogates in LA. They're mostly in like rural areas, like in the middle of the country. But my astrologer last week told me that there she <laughs> that it's going to happen really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I actually had a friend on the show who's an astrologer. They don't know each other. I didn't share the information. 
And he gave me a very similar timeline. He said that we'll, we'll have a surrogate in two months. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, let's manifest yeah. the shit out of that so for like, you. <laughs> We're so ready. Yeah. Just did you have, or what were your feelings around not being able to carry your own child and maybe Pasha not having her carry your child either? Yeah, this is such a great question. So I have had a huge fear actually of pregnancy in my life, like this odd fear. And even from when I was like younger, I was like, oh, the idea of being a mom is cool. But like the idea of being pregnant is terrifying. Sort of this, you know, just weird like fear of it. And I wasn't sure where it came from. I'm going to get back on my like little woo-woo train for a moment. I had this really interesting like healing done by this crazy. This is, this is going so off the rails. Are you ready? I was doing Haruto therapy, which is leeches, oh. which they use a lot in the OR. And I had no idea, but I have a friend who's a surgeon and he told me that. And after my surgery, I had a lot of issues with my lymphatic system. It was just not draining. And I had lymphedema in my legs that I still struggle with from time to time. So I had a couple different people recommend leech therapy. They were like, they stimulate your lymphatic system. They're incredible for healing. You can actually potentially have new lymph growth. So I go to this old Ukrainian grandmother in like Topanga Canyon in LA, and I'm getting this, I'm getting ready to have leech therapy. She ends up doing this, like, almost like I want to say past life regression, but it wasn't because I was in utero, like with my mom carrying me. And she like literally brought me back to this moment of my mom had a really like traumatic pregnancy with me. She had a couple miscarriages before me and after me. I was kind of almost like a miracle baby um, because I think she had five and she struggled so much in her pregnancy with me, like in and out of the hospital, lost a ton of weight. I was like barely making it. And I don't even know how, but I could feel myself in her womb and feel the like kind of pressure that I felt and also feel how much pain I was causing her and so much distress and how challenging pregnancy was that like, apparently as an infant, I decided that like, I was never going to go through that. And I felt it was so real. And I'm like, barely, not that I didn't believe in those sort of things. Now I'm like way more on the spiritual side, but this was like six years ago. So it was my first taste of that sort of experience and I knew it to be true. And so I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. This is likely why I've been so terrified of pregnancy. Maybe why I made it so like called, it was a very healthy 28 year old girl. Like I was living kind of an unhealthy lifestyle in nightlife and things like that, but I didn't do drugs. You know, I was like eating really clean and I called this random cervical cancer into my life, which is not hereditary. I never had an abnormal pap in my life. It just was like, boom, you have this thing now. And it's very weird, but it's like more than serendipitous to believe that like these things happened and then bam, I have a hysterectomy and I can't, I can't carry my own child. So in hindsight, like things look like the dots connect. To answer your question, I think now that we're entering into it, I never thought I would feel like remorse or feel kind of bummed. But I think now the idea of like not having that and not being able to really like birth like a baby is kind of a bummer. And I haven't felt that way at all until probably the last two months. 
Like I've never been sad. I've always been like, cool. Like I get to like, my body's not going to change. Someone else is going to do the heavy lifting. Like I can keep working and traveling and, you know, I like travel a lot for work. So I was like, this is great actually. And I still feel that way, but there's a hint of it creeping in where I'm like, you know, I feel like birth is probably such a magical experience. Right. And, you know, I get to still be there, but it's not my body. So I think we'll see, you know, I don't, I'm not too sad about it, to be honest, but there's a tinge of something creeping mm. up. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about it? I have a very short answer. I don't feel really anything about it. As long as we could have our genetic babies, I'm happy, really. Mm. You know, Aww. obviously there are moments of like, I wish I could feel it kick and I could kiss your belly. But at the end of the day, all that matters is that you're going to have a baby. It's going to be our baby and we're going to love it and we're going to have all the experiences with it. So, Are you going to kiss the surrogate's belly? If they let me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I feel like that should be a part of the process. Yeah, that should be it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book, uh, It Didn't Start With You? I believe it's by Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm-mm. Oh, you would yeah, absolutely. So, okay. so what's interesting about, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kevin, I'm trying to recount this and may completely blow it, but with women in particular, when a woman has a female growing inside of them, there's actually three generations of DNA that are involved mm. in that process because how does that work, babe? Because your grandmother carries you. Your mother already has the eggs that she's going to have within her. And so your grandmother is carrying your mom who's already carrying you. So your grandmother had you in her womb. So there's some wow. there's some really interesting science behind how things like exactly what you're talking about can be kind of genetically passed down. And it manifests itself in really crazy ways. I mean, there was even this kid whose both of his uncles had died or in like a he had frozen to death from hypothermia and got caught in a storm and they were they were 15. And this kid started getting like having these night terrors of freezing and shivering at 15 years old. Like it's like the craziest shit, but these like real stories and it's like psychosomatic and also some of this maybe like DNA passed down type of fears and anxieties and high stress situations. Incredible book. And Dr. Gabor Mate is just a super interesting guy. I mean, he's actually, I had the, when he's one of those guys, I met him one time, he was on a podcast for my old boss and I was recording this show for them and just being in the room with him was like insane. He's just such a crazy, like smart, deep grounded. It's like being in the room with someone who like a Buddhist, like a, like a Buddha, like, like if you were in the room with the Dalai Lama, right? It's like, there's like a, a piece in the room. That's the type of person that Gabor Mate is. It's very interesting. But that book, it didn't start with you is it's similar to, um, body the body keeps, keeps the score, score. but mm. slightly more focused on the genetic and kind of like the passing down of, of trauma essentially. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Cause I did like that book, but I feel like what the body keeps the score, it was cool. Cause it was telling me a, a bunch of stuff that I feel like I already knew, but I could yeah. organize them then and have this like solid, you know, body of information about it. But I love more like the science part of things and like genetics. That sounds like a really interesting read. I will definitely check it out. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is it's focused on generational stuff as opposed to the body keeps a score can be like something you manifested in your own life now and how it, you know, mm-hmm. works itself out, which another, of course, great book, but they, yeah. they've I've read them back to back and it was like, I was just overwhelmed with too much information. Yeah, but it helps things make sense. Jess, I'm super curious because this has really been part of my journey too. And you were talking about how you like called this cancer in. 
and you had this experience rather than saying this thing happened to me and very much, I mean, I don't, I would never put you as a victim of anything. That's not how you are, but I feel like that's a, a conscious decision that we make is no, I, I chose this. I feel very much about that the same way as when I had chronic illness for 15 years and was super sick. It's like, I called this in. I created this dynamic. I had a lot of lessons to learn and a lot of things that I needed to have in my life so that I could be the person I am today. But how did you get to that point? Because you were kind of mentioning how you weren't super spiritual until a little later. Yeah. Well, I started doing personal development work it's so interesting. Like January of that year was the first time I ever sort of took a course on like, what is this even, what is emotional intelligence? And not to say that I was like a complete victim before, but I definitely sort of came from a culture of like, woe is me? Why is this happening to me? You know, like I'll never get ahead. Like just a lot of sort of passing the buck on to everybody else. And I went to this emotional intelligence course in January and I was diagnosed with my cancer in April. So they were very like closely related. Actually, I had the diagnosis while I was in that. It was like a four month kind of coaching course. And I had just like one very powerful moment with the facilitator where I volunteered to like learn about responsibility in front of a room of 60 people. Ooh. <laughs> and he was like... Yeah. He, he was like, who's had like something ter Who's, who's been screwed over? Like who's had a terrible thing happen to them in their life where, you know, you just like didn't see it coming and like whatever the case was, he totally like laid it up. And I went into that course right after I was in a really bad relationship for three years, three and a half years with a guy who was like completely leading a double life. Like meeting, like setting up these Craigslist, like salacious sexual experiences for like the whole time that we were together. And I never, we were living together and there was never like a trace of any of this. And so I was like, me, I'll go. I'm going to tell you about my ex, right? Um, because I thought that's the game that we were playing. It was like, who has a sadder story? And I told my story and he kind of looked at me and he goes, well, what role did you play in it? And I really considered the question. No one had ever asked me a question that like that before. I, I don't think I had a circle of people who were encouraging sort of radical responsibility for your own life until this course. And I like pondered it and I'm like, well, I guess there were probably signs that I missed. And he just kept asking me the right questions. He's a really incredible, pretty well-known coach. Like he's created a lot of these courses and he just kept going and he's like, well, what did you miss? And well, were you happy, you know, in this, like in this relationship? And I started thinking about it. And I was like, actually wasn't for a really long time. And I ignored my own intuition. I was people pleasing. I was coming from a point of weakness, just like not wanting to rock the boat, not putting myself first. And I started to realize how I was actually responsible for staying in such a terrible situation. It was like a light switch. And from that moment on, I never looked at my life the way of like things happening to me. I was always like, wow, I'm responsible for everything. And then kind of my, my journey into like more emotional intelligence and spirituality happened very quickly after that. I think because I started to look at like, wow, my higher self has a plan that I clearly know nothing about. And it's going to put me in these spots where I can always be learning. 
So I was like, where's the lesson? Where's the lesson in everything I was doing? And it was such an intense course that you had to do that, or it was like sink or swim. <laughs> like you were like getting kicked out if you weren't like, if you weren't doing the work. And yeah, I think like the cancer was kind of a big test because it was like, great, you can look at this as like, woe is me, or what are you going to do differently? And I hadn't really lived my life for myself up until then. So after hysterectomy, I was like, I want to live for myself. I want to do what makes me happy. I'm going to like go after my dreams. I'm going to like jump in with this man that I'm clearly in love with. It feels a little risky, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) And yeah, I just started like it was compounding. I just started living my life in a completely different way, asking myself way better questions. And I became really addicted to like knowing myself and like being on that journey of personal growth. And I think like shortly after that, I started working with plant medicine, which like made things even more, I think, apparent of like, wow, we are so being guided. And even though things are hard, they're supposed to be like life isn't supposed to be sunshine and roses. I think that's also something that we're sold. That's like not true. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I'm, I resonate with that. <laughs> I mean, I think I have a buddy. Uh, he's taking a little bit of a different course now, but uh, his name's JP Sears. And I, it was so funny. We got to be friends through a company I worked for. And I just been around like the most narcissistic people and also had to acknowledge my own kind of like inherent narcissism and through that process, which was good for me. But one of the things that, cause I was so fucking pissed about the way that things had worked out, which they worked out. It was so clear. That's how they were going to go down. Right. <laughs> it's like looking back at it now, I'm like, that was so obvious, but he asked a question one time and he actually did a course on this that I watched, but this is us in conversation. He's like on the grill, like grilling burgers. I'm at his house. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, well, why are you a perfect fit for a narcissist? And I was like, fuck me. <laughs> and I was like, it changes the whole di- dynamic, right? Because when you feel like you're taken advantage of or manipulated or whatever, it's like, well, that's not my fault. But then you look at it and it's like, well, why, why were you a perfect fit for that? Because other people would have seen that coming a mile away, but you didn't. Mm. So it clearly like fulfilled some kind of unmet need in your life. So what acknowledge what that is. And then you solve that problem. And then you don't have the same attraction, like that same polarity that's like drawing you to these fucked up situations that you've clearly been in like six times before. It's not the first time this has happened, dude. So it's like, is it at a certain point? It's not about the other person. It's about you, you know? And there's, yeah. and now there's certain things like, there are people that are legitimate victims of a thing, right? Like things can happen, For assault, sure. car accidents, like, you know, shit happens. But when it comes to that kind of stuff, that's like repetitive in your life. It's like, okay, well, what is this? What is this trying to show me? Or what am I doing here? Like, you got to at least ponder that to get yourself somewhere that's productive or else you're just going to wallow in it and just going to keep happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what is my role? Like, what role do I play in this? It's the power of like a good question can really change everything like the way when the culture we live the culture we live in now people would call that like victim blaming and it's like no i'm trying to actually empower the person who is the victim to maybe like live a better life or that don't that's not their sole identity you know Mm -hmm. exactly yeah pasha i'm so curious it feels like everything in your guys's relationship even with the cancer and everything or maybe especially with the cancer and and all that you guys have gone through it's just divine timing and it's it's just been perfect. And the lessons that have come forward, the way you showed up for her, even though she wasn't speaking to you, you know, proving that you wanted to be there, her falling in love with you. And then you guys opening up this relationship and the dynamic changing, bringing Lauren into the fold. Now, you know, you guys decide you want to get pregnant. Okay. Now let's find a surrogate, all of these different things. I mean, just the way it's laid out has been so interesting. So I'm so curious 
what this looks like for you guys now, looking for a surrogate, Lauren in the mix. It feels like you guys are in such a beautiful place, but I know it hasn't always been easy. So what does this look like now? Well, I think you said something that was really interesting and really beautiful. It is perfect because we decide that it's perfect. We just, so everything that happens in your life, you can either choose that it's not perfect or it becomes perfect. And it's perfect because we do come from an attitude of gratitude, essentially. And so when you're able to learn from anything that's perceived as negative, it becomes perfect later on. And moving forward, you know, how that works out is essentially our priorities, at least I think, is uh, that our parenting will come first. But then we, we also are people who love like love, I guess is the easiest way to put it. And so we're never going to deny that. We're going to be very open about who we are and what we are and, and our relationship and include more love. And we also grew up tribal. I mean, we're supposed to be tribal as humans, right? As a human race, we're supposed to be tribal. And so the more love that in our kids' lives, the better. Yeah. Jess, do you feel the same way? Are you on the same page? <laughs> I do. I am. I, you know, same as Pasha, like, I think that we can have these ideas that we'll still keep, you know, some of our identity as like open polyamorous people. And it's also like, who will have the time because I know what it's like, you know, to like have an infant around. And I think that, you know, going on dates with other people will likely go on the back burner. However, which is say we don't even have enough time right now for that. Yeah. So really putting put twins in the mix is going to even make it exponentially harder. He really wants twins. We're going to put in two embryos. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. shit. Right. I want, I want yeah. twins too, but we're it's so yeah, perfect. just like all the time. Isn't it? <laughs> it's so perfect, right? Twins. <laughs> well, I mean, but also you it's don't have to because we're making it because we decided it was perfect. So it's perfect. yeah, but you don't have to carry the twins. So this is one of the silver linings that we get to focus yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I think to Pasha's point, I think we'll remain open to possibilities. Like Lauren really came into our lives and required very little effort because she moved in with our best friend who lives less than a mile from us. We were already spending all of this time together and kind of to give like a picture of how we foresee that unfolding with a child is like, she's here all the time. She and I work together. She'll likely carry on a lot of our business that I can't do in person when it comes to like retreats and things like that. And she'll be here. So I think our child growing up where our children where they see, you know, mommy and Lauren have a very intimate relationship because we do, that will just be the norm. And I think that like, that will just be something that they grow into that they accept as like, this is a possibility. I don't think we're going to like actively raise these like polyamorous children. That's not like a game plan of ours, but I think we're just going to show them that like love can look a lot of different ways. And so it's pretty clear that we both believe like the universe just brings you what you're meant for and it won't miss you. Like if we're meant to have other lovers in our lives as we do raise kids, then we will. And if not, we probably won't have time to like seek much of it out. But I think we'll be intentional on like vacations and things like that to like keep that spice that we really love in our marriage. And yeah, I think that that'll be just something that we put a bit more intention behind when it makes sense time-wise. Is it interesting yep. for you guys to think back to when you first started to open up the relationship? And Jess, I think you and I talked about this on IG Live a couple months ago of like, 
the fears and the insecurities and the, oh my God, what are we doing? And holy shit, I'm with another man and I have this person that I love and what's going on. And now Lauren's involved, all this stuff. And now you're looking back and you're looking for a surrogate. Lauren's in your life, you know, all the time. And you're just so calm and peaceful about it. And I know it's been a long journey, but I have to imagine like in your shoes now, looking back, that has to be kind of wild. Yeah, it's It's pretty pretty wild. (laughs) There was, it was a lot of like, what are we doing? Does this make sense? Like a lot of fear, you know, not a ton of arguing, but like a lot of conversations that would get uncomfortable and heated. We had a lot of resistance between like the way that we would operate sort of openly or like being open because we have different styles. And so it took a few years to like settle into that. And now looking back, it is silly because it feels like a lifetime ago. And to think that I made such a big deal out of things that now I would never trade the way that like I Fuck operate. you. Oh. you see this? Yeah, yeah we want to know more I about that. I want to know what's happening yeah. right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's for y'all's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. Oh my God. I think, I think, I actually, yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that one. This going to be great. Um, you know, the, uh, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, I think anytime you have any kind of adversity, in anything, you really grow from it. So essentially, it is a wild ride to getting to where we're at now. But because of all the conversations we've had, all the uncomfortable conversations, all the hard times that come along with a relationship like this, I feel so equipped to really tackle anything. I don't feel like there's nothing I can't tackle with Jessica by my side because we can communicate about everything. So we have that I want to say about maybe seven years now of experience of being open and communicating and getting through adversity and learning each other's style that like, bring it on kids. Like, what are you going to do? You know, we've, we've already, you know, had all the hard conversations. And so it makes us feel more equipped to have children, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely resonate with that. One thing that I thought about when it comes to a kind of a non-traditional relationship with kids is. And I kind of dealt with this because my mom was kind of hot when we were kids, like 12, 13. And those age boys are especially just fucking savages. So it's like you can't get away. I mean, and, and, he, and I was the same way. If any of my friends' moms were like, you know, we're wearing a low cut top, it was like, yeah, of course. Hear, you're stupid. You're idiots. Like you're just, you're, you're just thick skull. Just horny young shit. kids. Yeah. yeah all you're, you're just thinking with your dick constantly. It's how it goes. And it's like if the kids' friends were to find out at that age, right? That something like this is going on or maybe somebody like stumbled upon it or that maybe their fucking parents listen to the podcast or who knows like what situation we're going to be in. I'm like, if they got, had to like deal with that, that would be upsetting to me. Cause I'm like, you, that's not your thing. And it's not like, you, like it's, I don't want my, my kid to be like punished for, you know, something that yeah. has nothing to do with them. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where I, yeah. I thought about that as like one of the only, cause I think I can have the, I have conversations about this stuff all the time, have for years with, you know, the most hippie people and the most conservative people around and it doesn't bother me. Right. I can have a conversation with a 14 year old about like what love is and how we view things and our relationship. But I understand that like most kids aren't going to get that education and also 12 yeah. year olds are savages. So it's kind of like a different perspective there where it's like, oh, I got to be careful with how much that yeah. impact. I don't want, I just don't want it to negatively impact their life in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that 
that you say that, I, I think I might be a little bit opposite where I want my kids to experience that because I want them to go through adversity and to, to mm. learn to have the communication of like, mm-hmm. hey, these kids did pick on me or they were bullying me about this, but it is what it is and how to grow above that. Right. I didn't really have that mentorship when I was younger. And that's something I want my kids to have. And I am so thankful for the adversity. But like at the same time, they're going to get picked on for some reason because all kids are savages about something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be something. <laughs> I just don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to be like, hey, your mom's a, a whore. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, that, that's the kind of shit that people Which yeah. they probably would say. will say. That's, yeah. They'll say, yeah. Really exactly. And I'm but the, at the same time, of Pasha. Yeah. It's that's like definitely a fear of mine. That's the one kind of thing that I've always felt like, you know, with the podcast, because it was like around the time that I knew we were going to decide to have kids. And I'm like, there's really no turning back. And it's one thing to like raise your kids a certain way. Like we live in LA, if we stay here, you know, like imagine my kid, our kids will be in school in like what, seven or eight years from now, maybe it's like everybody here has some kind of interesting, like very, you know, open-minded liberal, like everybody has two dads or two moms or whatever it is. So maybe our kids will fit right in. And then I was like, we're, we have this idea. We want to move to like a compound with like some of our closest friends who are all about to like start having babies and we're kind of all on the same path. So we're like, well, maybe we'll have this like huge compound life with like all these houses and we'll homeschool and then our kids like will be weird anyway, because they'll be homeschool kids. (laughs) Um, but they won't have to like really entertain these, you know, outside world bully kids, but there really is no way to protect them. But his whole, like, I want them to have adversity and this, like, I'm glad that he is that because we'll need some balance because I want to protect them in any way possible. And I'm sure that like down the line, I will feel maybe some remorse for being so open about the things that I am now on the internet because yeah, I am worried that it's going to hurt them in some way. I do resonate with you though, Pasha, on the adversity piece. Like I see that in many other ways. Like it's, I can totally see myself and Kelly can probably attest to this. Like, sports or something like that like the kid losing a game and being all upset i'm like that's good for him like yeah. you know especially if they especially if they blow it or something you know what i mean it's like yeah like yeah that's what happens like you gotta and you gotta learn how to cope with that kind of shit yeah i often think about like when when someone's like 12 13 14 15 you're just gonna you just do stupid things right you're just a young kid you're a teen danger but like later on all the things that i used to you know hate my dad for or hate when i was younger for i was so respected him for when i was older so i kind of have that in back of my mind of like hey yeah they might have a little bullying they might have some kids say something but when they're older like they're 25 and 30 and they get life more they're gonna be like oh i respect my parents for being the way they are and hopefully we teach them the confidence to be themselves yeah we had a conversation the other day about some of that but i was like if our kids ever bully somebody <laughs> like you know, they're going to see because I did that shit when I was a kid and I got bullied and I bullied another couple of kids. I actually got a chance to apologize to somebody I was pretty brutal with in junior high, like later on in life. He still lived in my hometown mm-hmm. and he worked at the oil and gas supply store that I would go to in the summers when I would work. And I was like, Hey man, like that was fucked up and that wasn't okay. And I'm really sorry. But I just knowing like how much, even now just thinking about it, like makes, I kind of just disgusted with myself and it's like, I'm not, there's like a zero tolerance Especially that Kelly's six one, I'm six four. We're probably gonna have large children. You know what I mean? And like that's <laughs> it's like you you have a you right have a distinct bullying. upper hand. Yeah. And then like and then yeah, being yeah. that kid and knowing like, oh, and then and then they push you to do it's like do you gotta be there's like a there's a a lot of character development in that, I think. And it's like it's one of those areas of life where like the kid will probably see a different side of me if that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> they're, well, they're I, just, that shit I want off. I don't necessarily want like I was always a protector. 
I have such a savior complex and I, you know, I'm a fixer and I want to help everybody. I don't know that I want to like foster that in my child, but I can definitely see like, I want to raise my children to protect other people. If something bad is happening to them, you know, I want them to step up to the plate and be good people. And, and I think that to your guys's points, like that is part of the adversity, because if you stand up for someone who maybe has special needs or, you know, has ripped up clothes because their family doesn't have a lot of money, like you're going to be ostracized and people are going to then make fun of you. And to be able to accept that and say, I'm willing to go through this because I know I stood up for somebody who was less fortunate than I am. Like, those are things that I really want to instill in, in our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah. this just got derailed into parenting, but I think about these, I just, like, run myself through some, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just run myself through scenarios all the time. Totally. Just like, oh, what if yes, this happened, same. you know, yeah. or this was this, how I was like when I was a kid and like what I kind of, you know, resented about myself when I was like, that age. Yeah. It's just a, uh, the teen years are just a fucking nightmare for everybody. Yes. Like, <laughs> even the cool kids, but in, in the kids that were cool at that age, they still live in my hometown. Yeah, like every all the, all the high, they peaked in like the like eleventh grade, it's weird. Yeah, man. It's a weird thing, yeah. and it's same, like, same. and they're not funny, and they're not that fun to talk to. It's like you need that. Like somebody, I, watched, I saw a meme the other day. It was like, did you have a fucked up childhood, or or did you have a really nice childhood, or are you funny? Yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. It's like you need that. Yeah, exactly. So true. Yeah. I want to go back to what you guys were talking about, because you both kind of mentioned this, that you both have very different styles when you're dating other people and how you go about this. And I know that's been sort of a point of contention. So I'm just curious of what that means for both of you and how you've dealt with it. Mm. You want me to you go, go first? first? Okay. So I guess the short answer is, or like the very clear, easy way to look at it is I've always liked to have more of a relationship and develop like intimacy, emotional connection. Like I need that to feel like it's worth spending my time. It doesn't mean that I haven't had like one-offs and amazing little flings here and there, but I'd love something that's ongoing if I'm going to have like a partner outside of our relationship. And Pasha was very much the opposite. So he's like this one night stand, this vacation, this and this and this. And it took me a minute to realize that like that is so normal and we are going to have very different styles. It doesn't mean that like we should both do my style or we should both do his style. I think just like in the beginning for me, it was like, I think the speed at which things were happening and each experience felt like a new experience to like look at and dissect and they were happening kind of often. And for me, I like would have to develop a connection with someone. So it felt just very imbalanced very unbalanced for me. And I would give Pasha a really hard time. He would travel a lot for work and it would always be like, okay, well, I'm going on this trip. Like I want to talk about this before I go. And I would have so much resistance and I constantly made him feel like he was doing something wrong because I would have a ton of questions about it. And my questions were just like, I just want to go through everything. And he also had a lot of like, I think probably from never really being asked by anybody, like he was kind of a loner in his life. And I mean, I won't speak for you, but I think just like his upbringing too, he was like very much on his own. I'm going to speak for you. Um, and so just like the line of questioning was really hard for him. 
from my perspective and now looking back, it's like, we've been able to kind of talk about some of that stuff in therapy. It's like, anytime Pasha feels like there's a question, he feels interrogated, even if that's like not the case. And <laughs> I love the looks that you turn to each other. But for me, I had to realize that like, maybe my energy about it was that I was interrogating him. And so it taught us a lot about communication and just like what type of energy we were bringing to our conversations. And it's helped a lot. Like we've actually never gone to therapy because of being open, but it's certainly like worked its way into our sessions. And she's helped us like look at that so much of like, oh, it's just the way that you to speak to each other and the energy behind that, that kind of causes the rift, not necessarily like the information that she wants to know. I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's like, yeah. that's like a lot of where we would have friction in our earlier days before things got really seamless and easy. It was a lot of like, well, well, who was there and who knows? And what did she say? And where does she live? And like, what, and what have your text messages looked like? And what's her blood type? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the crazy thing is like, mainly I wanted to know because it would excite me and turn me on, but I was constantly towing this line between like fear and jealousy and like being turned on and being excited. So it was like, constantly reminding myself, like, why do I want to know this information? And also starting to ask myself, do I need to know every little thing? And how can I sort of set the scene for him to tell me in a way that also feels really good for him? And that's like fun for us. And that's like what we found was like our secret sauce then. And then it would become like a foreplay thing. Be like, tell me everything, but like, let's do it while we're in bed, (laughs) you know? And like, Mm -hmm. let's make like a game out of it. And that for me, that was like, yeah, kind of like the the key that unlocked everything. Yeah, I'll, I'll expand on this a little bit. It, oh, you want to speak for yourself? Yeah, that'd be really <laughs> nice because, you know. Uh, speak for me too. Tell, tell my version of the story oh, I will. from your I will. words also. No, it was, you know, when she said she's towing the line of, you know, fear and jealousy, it definitely came out in the in the questions of interrogation. So I do know that she would get turned on at, you know, when I would have an experience, but at the same time, it also was coming from a fear-based questioning pattern and base. And so I got that. And so then I found myself getting very defensive and having to defend everything I did, even though we were open. So there was always this kind of zigzag of like mixed emotions with that, you know, at some point didn't feel right because we were open. We discussed it. I was very like open about us being open and encouraged her to do it. But whenever I had an experience, it was like a, whoa, let's go through every little detail in every interrogation, it seemed like. And so there was a lot of times in the beginning where I didn't feel like I actually, even though we said we were open, I didn't feel like I had the the room to just be completely open, essentially, which is fine. You, I, I understand that. And I want to articulate that in a different way. It's like you had the, it's like you had the consequences of not being open while being open. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, well, are we? Because I feel like I'm being punished for doing what we said we were going to do here. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, that was kind of how it was for like a year, probably. Maybe a little less. Like three years. Which, is, no. which is natural. I feel like three years. <laughs> it was not three years. It was like a good year where where we were not communicating well about it. But so grateful for that time because like now things are so easy. And I also think like, it's just time. 
Like you just need time to get used to doing something so outside of the box when your whole life you've been taught that that is just wrong and awful and it's cheating, you know? There's no one way to have those conversations either. Like so subjective based on like if you guys were to go your separate ways and have the same type of relationship, you would have completely different styles of conversations about mm-hmm. it because it's like it's so many variables between an individual person, their past experience, the way they view the thing, their motivations. It's like there's not – so you kind of have to have that year of like messy discussions well, so, about yeah. it because there's yeah. not really there's not really a playbook for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean and really that's what it comes down to is that hat, like identifying those feelings and like, hey, this is how I feel this is not what I'm looking for. And then just having that conversation for us to start getting more, uh, you know, comfortable with those situations. And all of that led us to the path that we're on now where we're, you know, very comfortable with everything. And then, you know, also really funny with, go ahead. No. Yeah. And I was going to say also, yeah, it's very different. Her style and my style, you know, my style was, I didn't want to have a relationship. I don't have enough time to have like a full on relationship, which I think as I'm getting older, that is changing for sure. But I, I find myself very picky and not really wanting to go out so much anymore and really finding anything because I'm so content in my life and I want to be a parent and my business is booming. And so also yeah. something that we didn't really touch on is it was challenging also for Pasha to when I did actually develop feelings for somebody and started to kind of like have that newness energy and like really have a connection. That was also really hard for him. But it was like one big hard time, like one kind of blow up that then blew over. That was like a huge learning, but also was a kind of a big issue. I think it was the, mm. it was given the circumstances and we weren't a hundred percent at that time when that was happening and we were already disconnected because she already had some past relationships in the past, which was okay. But there was a time where she was developing something when we weren't a hundred percent. And so mm. the ground felt rocky and I don't like that. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. Pasha, how different is it for you when she's with a woman versus a man? I mean, it's it's both very intriguing and very exciting for me. Either or. You know, I think because like of compersion, I just I'm so happy when she's, you know, happy. So it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. It's not like I have a preference one way or the other. I just know which way she's gonna get satisfied and what kind of energy she's inviting to her life. Makes sense. Yeah. We're not there. We <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to interview you guys. Yeah. I mean, it takes, it, takes, it, it takes a lot of work, you know, for sure. But I know at the end of the day, you know, so here's the thing that, that's really fascinating on how we got there. What I learned when she was with another man, like when she was with another woman, I never felt like super threatened. I never felt like she could really leave me. You know, I'm it with confuses man. me how people get threatened for that in that situation. Me I've too. had guys tell me like, "Dude, I don't, know, I don't, I don't know how you can do that." I'm like, "Dude, I'm not a woman. Like, I, there's yeah. nothing. There's like so many things that that that, that person can offer that I just don't. Like, I'm not compare. What am I compare myself to a woman as far as like how I can? Like, I don't know. They know how the parts work. I'm sure men give great head. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, they got the parts. It makes sense. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I yeah, it's, it's just where I, I didn't. Get, I could never wrap my mind around. It just never was a thing for me. Never, never, it never really bothered me. But when it came to other men, you know, you have all the you know typical insecurities. What if she falls in love? What if she you know? But I do have to say, I'm going to say two things on this. One is my general belief on how I view my life in general is that if she does leave me and she, you know, finds somebody else, then it wasn't 
what I thought it was and I'll go create my own happiness again. I'll be very sad and, you know, but I don't think that's ha- going to happen. And it's also my responsibility to keep her the happiest woman alive, right? Like it's my responsibility. And the second thing is, is when we had those feelings come up of insecurity and whatnot, it really kind of, if you really boil it down, you really go deep to like the core level. It was always just a fear of abandonment because my mother left me when I was younger. And I thought if she left me, that would be the worst thing that could happen to me. And so I just, I had to learn how to tell her how to love me in those moments and how to make me feel like priority. And she's always willing to do that. So I don't really, I love when she has other experiences outside of me, but as long as I feel like I'm priority, as long as I feel loved in those moments, I'm totally cool with it. So it actually taught her how to love me better and how for me to communicate how to be loved better in those moments. I love that. Was there, can you guys identify like a turning point where you went from constant conversations, insecurities, I don't like this, this was too much, blah, 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 to then all of a sudden you're like, huh, that used to bother me and now it doesn't. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's happened a few years ago. Yeah. Well, I don't know when it happened. There wasn't like one turning point, but it just happened at some point. Now we're very comfortable and open with whatever happens. And yeah, we also know that time, but me neither. And both of us also never abuse the openness, right? Like we don't take advantage of it. We're very picky. We always want to spend time with each other. You know, anytime we have a night off, it's like, I don't, I'm so happy with her. I don't really want to go out. Yeah. I've said this to Kelly. I think I've said this to you before, but like, I'm probably the most boring, like, open, you know, open marriage you'll ever <laughs> talk to. I mean, we have our fair share of experiences. But it's not something that we're like actively doing all the time. We were definitely more active when we were younger. And, you know, I think since Lauren's come into our lives, there's not like as much need for this like outside stimulation. Our businesses are both so busy right now. Um, But even in the past when we were, it was like we would balance things like we've done the like, okay, cool. The one year we went to like a decent amount of sex parties and found out it wasn't really our thing. And then, you know, we've done, we've had a lot of threesomes and then we've had like some more morsoms that were really great. And then we found that we just really Morsoms. like, yeah, we really like entertaining. That's a double, that's a double entendre for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cute. Um, <laughs> oh God, that should be the name of the next podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> okay, babe. Yeah. A podcast on parenting. Morsoms. Yeah. A podcast on our sex life. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that like, we've just had chapters. We've had these really awesome chapters. And I think before Lauren, we had like a nice two year chapter where we were dating other people. And we really liked that because it made us kind of what Pasha touched on, like really not complacent in our marriage where we started like doing all the things for each other again. And like you, you know, you put your effort in where it matters. And like he said, I had to realize okay, if I was going to go do these other things that were really fulfilling in these other ways, because it's a completely different man than him, maybe then I was also, you know, going to have the opportunity to come home and create something really special and spicy, like in my marriage. And so we've had these chapters of different times where I think little things would get easy, like little kind of hinges would be turned to where it was like, okay, we're totally coasting on this thing we're totally coasting on this thing now. We're totally, you know, and now with the polyamory, it's like, okay, we're comfortable having like feelings and like 
being in love with a, a third person and then maybe like, you know, having that fizzle out. So I think, yeah, just over the years, it's been a journey of like all of these different types of open and it's been fun to, I guess, master a lot of them and now probably won't have time for any of it. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Because we have all the children running around. Yeah. All the children. On our compound. All of them. Maybe <laughs> in Colorado, <laughs> which is like we're actually Maybe. looking at Colorado as like a land. Hey, man, place. I'm looking at land all the time. I can always shoot it your way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I look at land. I look at land at least twice a week. Do you? Yeah. yeah. There's some, there's some, yeah. Connor's yeah, looking more for hunting purposes, not necessarily a compound. Yeah, but... It's for both. It's for both. <laughs> I'm trying to find something that let comes from a valley into the mountains. So like mm-hmm. a few hundred acres that goes into there. It has like so it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Find fresh water. Out there. That's a dream. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a bunch of that out here. It's really easy to find water. Yeah. Send I've actually been scared way. to go hunting in Arizona because people like die out there because they can't find water because <laughs> I'll go like 15 <laughs> miles deep but it's like out in Colorado it's like there's there's always water yeah you, just find, awesome. you find you find a, da- a drainage there's always water yeah and it's so yeah. fucking cold and it's so clean and you put it through that filter and it tastes so good <laughs> yeah I can't wait <laughs> that's the dream oh my god amazing well thank you guys so much for coming on this has been so fun I love hearing your story and all like the nuance and the the babies and the chapters and it's inspiring and it gives us something I think a lot of what I've listened to on your show and learned from you guys has like created opportunities for us to have conversations in our relationship and it's you know I don't feel like we know a ton of people who are doing what we do. And obviously your relationship dynamic looks a lot different than ours, but just knowing that there's other people who have alternative relationship styles who are super happy and fulfilled and joyful people and in love. It's really inspiring for us. And it makes us feel, at least for me, it makes me feel less alone. So thank you for sharing your story. And I just appreciate you guys. You guys seem to have a good, uh, seem to have a good grasp on the whole thing. And um, I will always say this because I like to throw this caveat in there. These type of relationships can go sideways really fucking quick and get really gnarly. Uh, and I've seen a lot of that too. I know it's always fun to be like, yeah, it's a great sunshine and rainbows, get closer, these conversations. So that's not always the case. It's not always, it so totally depends on like how you go into the thing. And, and you guys seem to have a pretty good handle on it. So I really respect that and appreciate that about yeah. you guys. Yeah, thank thank you. you guys so much. It's been such a fun conversation. I'm yeah. glad we did it. Definitely appreciate it. I'm excited, to, I'm excited for you to grill us on uh, Open Late. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks.